0: Welcome to Preaching in Season, a series designed to help ministers in their work of interpreting the Bible and preaching the Word in the many seasons of the church's life. My name is Tim Sensing, Professor of Homiletics, Graduate School of Theology here at ACU. In this episode, we're going to talk about the church potluck catastrophe. Thank you for listening. Galatians 1 11 through chapter 2 verse 14 is often called the radio. If you're doing a rhetorical analysis of, of Paul's letters, Paul always has a neuradio in his letters and, and this is a time where Paul is just giving some statements of the facts. He's going back into his own history, his own story, especially as that story interacts with the story of the church. And with this statement of the facts, he's making an argument by stating how events in the past make it clear about how you should act in the future. Paul, as a missionary, has become part of the debate. Paul uses his own story to insert himself into the conversation. First, in chapter one, 11 through 12, Paul looks at the extraordinary nature of his call. A message that comes to him from God through Jesus Christ. A message that has divine origins, not human origins. Therefore, church, hold fast to the gospel preached to you. Do not supplement it. Do not bundle it with something else. Do not add to it because this gospel comes from God. Paul does this by describing there in the next verse four verses, chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, about how the gospel itself radically changed him when God revealed the Son to him on the Damascus road. And he talks about his apostolic commission. He talks about his autonomy from the authority in Jerusalem. Then when we get into chapter 2, 1 through 14, we have two episodes. One is where he meets with the Jerusalem leaders they talk about the division of labor. Paul has an agreement with the Jerusalem leaders about his own mission. And Paul then makes this agreement to remember the poor, which he does faithfully, 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Romans 15, 25-29. And then we have the church potluck catastrophe in the final episode of the, of the Noradio in chapter 2, 11-14. This confrontation with Peter in Antioch, where Peter is rebuked. Here we see that the nature of the gospel radically changes all of our social relationships. Galatians 2, 1-14 is not found in the Revised Common Lectionary, but you can find it in a supplement to the Revised Common Lectionary in a book called Year D, written by Tim Slimmons, published by Cascade Press. When we think about how the gospel changes social relationships, this story that Paul is telling here is not just a way to, to talk about an application of the gospel, but about something that is inherent to the gospel itself in order to challenge the church to change in terms of their social relationships. When you talk about eating, I sometimes have to talk about the times where I eat in uncomfortable places. Like at the time where I was at a restaurant and and there is a kitchen worker diligently washing his hands uh, there in the uh, restaurant, in the bathroom. And as he's leaving there, then he uh, is someone who uh, pulls out uh, his, his gloves from his back pocket, and puts them back on before returning to the kitchen. The old adage is true. It's probably best not to think about how the food is prepared. Just sit down and eat. I, I've seen that happen in people's homes too. I was in a home where the mouse runs across the couch. Later, sitting at the table, eating your dinner, The mouse runs across my foot. I've been in a home where the smell of urine was entrenched. I've been in a home where the cigarette smoke was coming out of the kitchen so thick you wondered if the food was burning. You have to think. Don't think about how the food's prepared. Just enjoy the fellowship. Enjoy while you're there. It's hard. Because sometimes it's more than just being uncomfortable. It's, It's almost sickening your stomach. It happens at church potlucks. I was at a church potluck where everyone was talking about, don't eat the pie. And you wonder, being last in line, about that casserole that no one else has yet touched. In today's context, Paul tells the story of a church potluck. Paul describes this is not just a socially uncomfortable place, but a church potluck that actually opposes the gospel. It's a bit more sticky than just uneaten pie. Chapter 2, verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back and kept to himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their, their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, How can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is a story of a church potluck. Paul describes this not just as a socially uncomfortable place, but a church potluck that opposes the gospel. What's Peter reacting to in this story? This is the same Peter who witnessed the blanket coming down from heaven when he slept atop Simon Tanner's house and subsequently ushered in the first Gentile believers. This is the same Peter that that Luke talks about in Acts in three different stories because it's such a significant event in the life of the early church. The story here demonstrates the complex nature of social relationships and the difficulty of living a coherent faith. The story demonstrates that even someone like Peter is evolving In his theology and his understanding. And he too is inconsistent in his practice. Slippage occurred between Peter's testimony and Peter's behavior. Now, Peter had no problems at first. He ate with the Gentile Christians at first. But when some from Jerusalem came, he caved. These Jewish Christians were demanding strict obedience to Jewish practices. Jews cannot live like Gentiles. Gentiles cannot continue to live like Gentiles to be good Christians. Gentiles must learn to live like Jews. By accepting these works of the law, these boundary markers, Gentiles indicated that they were identifying with a Jewish way of life and so somehow share more fully in the blessings of the Messiah, to share more fully into what it means to be the people of God. And Peter caved to the pressure to conform. If not to their interpretation, he fell prey to their prejudices and segregating ways. In so doing, he broke fellowship that was established by God in Jesus. So how is the gospel embodied in everyday social practices? This text would say it's embodied in the fact that the church, the people of God, sit at one table. We share together a common life. Paul confronts Peter by saying, The death and resurrection of Jesus, God has brought into being a new community that embraces Jews and Gentiles together as God's people. This is not an implication of the gospel. It is the integral in the gospel itself. This is not an application. It's part of the very DNA of what it means to have a Jesus who died for your sins and raised on the third day. You cannot be saved by the gospel and refuse to sit at the table. It, it, it's an incommensurate paradigm. It's a contradiction of essence. And you know, and I know, that this is not just about potlucks and meals. It happens in many other ways in which our social relationships interfere and, and contradict the gospel in our lives. So why do we still do this? Do this in the in the twenty first century. But why do we still allow our prejudices to interfere with us embracing our brothers and sisters in full fellowship? You know, verse fourteen is a is a striking verse Paul says we still do it because we're not acting consistently to the truth of the gospel. Or the King James would say we're not acting in a straightforward way. Or the NIV would say we're not acting in line. Today, we do not exclude we do not exclude people based upon Jewish laws about diets, holidays, and circumcision. The Galatians had to overcome the social barriers between Jews and Gentiles. The church today allows other issues to break barriers, to to create barriers in our lives. So we've got to discover how those new social and ethnic barriers that still exist within and outside the church still are barriers to the gospel. For a long time, I understood Galatians as a letter that dealt only with the lofty ideas of salvation for all. Somehow, for years, I was able to separate soteriology from the social setting of Paul. Somehow, I was able to separate the theology of Galatians 3, all are one in Christ, for the social implications and settings of Galatians 2. Somehow, I was making a dualistic move of separating the spiritual from the material. I was making a dualistic move somehow separating my eschatology from my ecclesiology, separating my soteriology from ecclesiology. I would talk about that this is a passage that talks about salvation, not one that would talk about social issues. Instead of testifying about divine grace that removes social boundaries, I was repeating the disposition of Peter's whose actions established an ethnic fence around grace. Through some theoretical gymnastics, I was separating belief and promise from their social implications and supporting actions. I was not connecting the concrete living realities of people's lives by segregating the promises of God from the actual unity and solidarity those promises address. I'm not alone. We all exclude and marginalize others. I grapple with my own distaste about how some folks live, and out of my own inner wranglings, I must ask the question, does it affect my lunch plans? Richard Hayes says it like this, whenever we find the people have begun to think of themselves as Americans first and Christians seconds, or meld these identities uncritically together, we're in the presence of a false gospel. Whenever we encounter pressure to allow our identity to be shaped fundamentally by the market forces or allegiance to radical or ethnic identity, we should remember the examples of Paul and Barnabas, who refused to yield even for a moment to the pressures to conform to prevailing expectations about what normal religious behavior looks like, unquote. So we can include folks who have different religious ide- ideologies. Will we eat lunch with them? Folks who are loud, obnoxious, push the envelope, or what I think is, is dignified and quiet, will I eat lunch with them? How does it affect my lunch plans when I find out that these people define public morality different from me, when political differences about taxation or gun legislation or immigration or healthcare, when, when I find out that we, we disagree about these things, does it affect my lunch plans? And when eating dinner at their house and these subjects come up, uh, do we arch our backs ready for a fight? Do we pack up our toys? Are we ready to go home? How do we react? Why do we, saved by the gospel people, still allow our prejudices and biases to stop us from embracing our brothers and sisters in full fellowship? In full fellowship that often is still defined by who we will and will not eat with because According to Paul, when we live like that, we are not living consistently with the truth of the gospel. The gospel that says Jesus died for all and was raised on the third day. The gospel that is clearly delineated in Galatians one, one through four, that we are denying that gospel when we will not eat lunch with others. Galatians is a grand theological treatise that discusses heady and difficult truths, but with the nitty gritty everyday implications as real as who are we going to eat lunch with. Preaching in Season is a production of the Graduate School of Theology at Abilene Christian University in partnership with the Center for the Study of Ancient Religious Texts. If you're interested in learning more about us and what we do, visit us at acu.edu gst or email us at gst Until next time.